I'd like to welcome you all. Hope you had a good lunch. I enjoyed mine. And um, I want to explain why you're seeing handy sides here and not landless. A lot of you don't know the difference between the two of us because <laughs> you call us Dr. Handy Less, and I say no, or Dr. Landy Slides, you know, <laughs> and they mix up our names so much. And, and he is the handsome younger edition, and I'm the older one. Uh, but uh, I'm always very flattered when they think that I'm Dr. Landless. <laughs> Dr. Landless couldn't be here today because of an urgent change in his itinerary and his booking. So he had to go uh, overseas. He's currently in the Emirates, and he couldn't be here at this meeting. Uh, I virtually volunteered to take his place because he was doing something that's very, very important for us. He is, as you know, the executive director of the International Commission for the Prevention of Alcoholism and Other Addictions. That goes under the title ICPA. That's a United Nations organization uh, front, and so he is working in the Emirates under that particular uh, heading. Now, he is engineering something that is very dear to my heart for many reasons. He is trying to set up a relationship between Loma Linda University, School of Public Health, and Dr. Pennycook, the dean is here, and the University of the Emirates, a relationship that will involve an ICPA um, lectureship. You know, you saw my letters MBCHB, that means I'm a British trained person, but of course I suppose we would call it in America a professorship, but he's only an assistant professor that we're sending over there who would be a lecturer in the British uh, system, and he's going to go over and be a liaison officer, and we're hoping that we will be able to establish in the area of health, because we all know that health is um, a place that we begin our work in many, many, many places, so Loma Linda School of Public Health will have a presence and ICPA will have a presence in the Emirates, in Abu Dhabi. And that is a wonderful thing for us to, to have. And we're hoping that, that that particular entity will be able to bring in lecturers to the university and set up special academic days and so forth. And we'll bring in speakers from Loma Linda. We'll bring in, we will bring in Adventist speakers from some of our other universities, so we may be asked Dr. Albert Rees, who's the Dean of the School of Medicine in Maryland, for instance, to go and give some lectures, and, and maybe Dr. Gilbert Burnham from Johns Hopkins University School of Public Health, and Dr. David Williams, who's in the School of Public Health at Harvard, and it will sort of look like they're from all these different places as they indeed are, but we will know that they're all Adventists and they're all representing uh, the church. And it's very important that we do that because what we are establishing there are these relationships. We're not going to go in there and, and proselytize. We're going to establish relationships. The phone rang in my office. I, just for a background, I, I, I'm an obstetrician and gynecologist, but I did do pediatrics before that. So I trained in pediatrics in Toronto at the Hospital of Sick Children, graduated from Edinburgh in Scotland, the UK first, and then went to to, to Toronto. 
trained as a pediatrician, found that I really wasn't too enamored of runny noses and diarrhea and uh, you know all the little things that children have. So I changed specialty and went into OBGYN because the mothers are much more appreciative and tolerant of, uh, of things than they are for themselves than they are for their children. And uh, I, I found this mic's a bit hot. Is, can we turn it? It just seems it's a little hot in here. Can we, not the microphone. Can we just maybe turn it down a little bit? Yeah. And um, so we, um, so that's my background. And is, is as a, I've lost my train of thought, but is as a, um, as a British trained physician. And uh, Dr. Landless also is not a British trained, but a South African trained physician. And so uh, he and I have been working together. We both of us have not MDs, but we have MBCHB. I think his is a BCH. We, are, we get a double bachelor's degree at the end of our training in medicine. And then we go and specialize. And so I do have a degree in pediatrics. It's, a, it's called a FRCPC. Today, that's not a degree. But when I took it, which is in the olden days, because I was born BC before computers, um, uh, they, they, I, it was a degree in those days. So I got a degree as FRCP, which was an academic degree. So I'm hoping that we will be able to establish in the Emirates some relationships. The phone rang in my practice one day. <coughs> And it was a young lady who said to my wife, she said, Mrs. Handysides, he's got AIDS. She said, who's got AIDS? She said, the guy I'm living with's got AIDS. So my wife said, well, Gail, you'd better come and see the doctor. I'd first met Gail when I found her coming into the practice in a, you know, with a, a suit that had millions of these studs in it. And a, she looked really um, well-dressed, but in a, in a different sort of style. And I said, uh, what, what's your occupation, Gail? She said, I'm a hooker. I, I, you, know, you know how, how you would go, yeah, a hooker. She said, yeah, I'm a hooker. So I said, well, um, that's fine, Gail. You know, you're pregnant. And she said, well, I'm a, coke, a, a cocaine addict. I said, you're a cocaine addict? She said, yep. But she says, I don't touch it when I'm pregnant. I said, you know, I'm going to be testing you. She said, I know. But she said, I won't touch it when I'm pregnant. Well, she didn't. And after the pregnancy, I, I, I found her, uh, she went back to the cocaine. She was positive again. She got pregnant a second time. And again, she uh, went off the cocaine. So I knew that she could sort of go off it for something very important, like a baby. But she was addicted. So she calls and she says, my, my partner's got HIV, is HIV positive. I was actually delighted that she would call our office. Just think of it. She called our office and she wanted to speak to my wife, Janet. Why? Because she had a relationship. She had a relationship that she could trust my wife. And I believe she could trust me too, and she did. We brought her in, checked her out. She wasn't positive. I'm going to cut a long story short. Then just before Christmas, I believe it would probably be about this time of the year, the phone went again. She said, he's died. And she started to cry. When she cried, she said, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do for Christmas. He used to nick all kinds of Christmas presents for the kids. Nick means steal them. 
She said, I'm scared to go and nick them because if I go and nick them and they catch me, then they'll separate me from the children. I'll lose my kids. So she said, I don't go and nick things for Christmas. So my wonderful wife, Janet, who's sitting back there, and she doesn't want me to talk like this. And I told, I warned her I was going to talk about it, but she said, oh, grief, please don't. She said, uh, we'll take care of Christmas, Gail. So she said to me, we're taking care of Christmas for the kids. So I said, what are we going to do? Well, sure enough, we had to load up the car. We had to do all of the things for Christmas time. We bought a new outfit for all of the children, new outfit for Gail, loaded the car up. Our kids, you know, were typical spoiled brats. No, they weren't brats. They were typical spoiled, beautiful kids. And they, they, they had all kinds of skateboards that were scarcely used. You know, they all thought they were going to be real whiz-bang skaters, and they used it twice and fell and hurt the other one. They didn't like it anymore. And so, so we had all these kind of things that we could give to the kids, and the kids had not used, so we put them in the car. We had so much stuff by the time we finished, we had to take both cars. So we loaded both cars, took both cars about 80 miles down the road to where Gail was living. Why was she living there? Because... She found that she couldn't live in Toronto because she knew all the people there. And she said, I'm going, to, I'm going to go back to my old habits. If I stay with the same group of people, I have to make new relationships. I went into her house. Her house was absolutely spick and span. It was cleaner than our own house. It was a little much smaller. But it was absolutely clean. Now, we took all the stuff in, the food and the stuff that my wife had collected for her. You know, I'd said, well, how are we going to get a veggie turkey? She said, veggie turkey? You're out your mind, man. She's a prostitute. You're going to take her a regular turkey. So, all right, so we took this turkey. I don't even know if it would fit in her thing, but all the food and the stuff was all there. And the kids were looking and it was really like Christmas. And as I stood at the bottom of the stairs and I looked at the stairway that went up, I, I, I said, what's this? She said, that's him. So I looked at the picture, and here was a guy in his underpants. <laughs> but he was beautiful body, man. He was a bodybuilder. He was standing like this, you know. Well, of course, if I suck my belly in and, <laughs> and wear a shirt, you know. That's how he was standing like this, you know. Beautiful. And then up the stairwell, there were a series of photographs, which I followed up, up the stairs. And as I went up the stairs, I could see a chronicle of the devastation of AIDS. And the final picture, at the top of the landing, he sa she said, that's him eight hours before he died. And he looked like a human pretzel. She took me into the little tiny rooms, little tiny room for the one kid about this big. She said, that's the one, and that's the other, and this is my room, and her room, of course, was a big one. It was about this big. And she had a dressing table, and on the dressing table there was an urn, a wooden urn. She said, that's him. And then she choked up. This was a hard woman who used F in this and F in that for every second word. And I said, Gail, you really, you really loved this guy, didn't you? And tears came in her eyes and a big lump in her throat. She said, he's the only person who ever really loved me. That's what we're talking about this afternoon. 
we're talking about the expression of love in a relationship. And I was so delighted to hear the keynote address this morning, which was, this, it was actually the devotional. I hope you all went to it. That devotional focused on, uh, uh, my memory's not very good. What did it focus on? The devotion this morning. Were you there? Okay. What did it focus on? Oh, you missed something. Who was there? And what did, what did it focus on? Our high calling. And it focused on how that Christ manifested the character of the Father. Christ, 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 Christ. You see, it focused on Christ. That's what we need to have at the central focus of all our activities. It must be a focus on Christ. No, I know we like to focus on depression sometimes. And I know we like to focus on nutrition sometimes. And I know Dr. Landless is focusing just now on exercise, you know. And we're all exercising. Man, I've lost, I've lost weight. Did you notice? You didn't even notice, but I've lost weight. Look at my picture and look at me now. Because I've been methodically exercising, you see. And I've got so far that it's even weight-bearing exercise. I've got a jack and three bottles of water in a knapsack that I wear on my back when I walk, see? Because my wife walks a little slower than I do. So I, that slows me down and she and I can walk together, see? And we walk and exercise. Look at it. Now I know, I'm, I, I checked my BMI, it's 25. So it's just on the border, you know. And you're like me, so you understand what I'm talking about. Yeah, Twi well, okay. So, 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 but you see, we sometimes focus on all of these things. Think about it. The Pharisees focused on all of those things. All right. We must focus on Jesus. As we focus on Jesus, we now have a basis because we've got this relationship right. Now we can focus on the other relationships. And the relationships that we have with people have been found to be very important. If we talk about prevention, the prevention of addictions, what works? Well, first of all, we know that prevention is far better than cure, right? Prevention is much better than cure. When we go around the world, people are always saying, oh, do we have a, a special program? We've got regenerations that's uh, being regenerated uh, as a program for, for people who, who would like to get off drugs. But far better than getting off drugs is never to be on them. See? And so prevention is far better than cure. In fact, prevention is the cure. If you never get on to the stuff, then you won't be like Gail and need to get off it. But you know, if they're already on it, we usually think we can educate people out of their addictions. Oh yes, we tell them all about tobacco. You know, you could all give lectures on tobacco, all the harmful effects of tobacco. The meta, you know, the metaplasias that take place in the respiratory passages, all right? You can describe the dysplasia. You can describe how they're going to get uh, possibly a cancer from, the, from, the, from, from that, or the chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. We can talk about all these diseases very well. Education is important, but why do you think I'm just borderline overweight? <laughs> because I don't know. I know. I know. But you see, it's difficult to put what we know into practice. And it has been shown, the longitudinal study which done on adolescents, it was a study done on 74, 78,000 maybe, 78,000 adolescents. 
they studied them and they found that the most important factors in protecting those young people against at-risk behaviors was not knowledge. You ask kids about condoms and HIV. Do you think the kids know about it? I went to a school down in the islands. They said, would you please give them a talk on AIDS? I said, they said, no, no, that's grade four. Grade four. Took us into grade four. Dr. Landis and myself, you know, when you're working with the general conference, you're supposed to know everything. <laughs> so they put us into this classroom. His little kids. So we said, uh, how many of you know uh, uh, what HIV is. They said, yeah, we know it's the virus that causes age. So we said, oh, all right. Now, we'd like to talk about prevention. See, the previous slide. We'd like to talk about prevention. Uh, what do you know about the prevention of HIV? The kid puts his hand up. So I said, yes. He says, condoms. I said, condoms? He said, yep, condoms. I said, oh. And I'm thinking, does his mother know about condoms? <laughs> I mean, I'm wondering what, what kind of, so I said, what do you know about condoms? Because I don't want to be, t I don't want to be accused of telling grade four kids about condoms. So I said, what do you know about condoms? He says, oh, he says, there's latex condoms, he says, vinyl condoms, he says, animal, uh, animal tissue condoms. I said, does your mother know you know all of this? This is an Adventist school. You see, the, the kids know a lot of things. Education is important, but education alone is a failure. Education is a failure. Education alone is a failure. What is the missing ingredient? I mean, we've only, we, we asked the question, Lifestyle Centers of America closed its doors after many, many years, $40 million. 4,000 patients gone through its, gone through its things. They did a, a recall thing and found only 200 that were, were living to the lifestyle of what they had created, of what they taught them. They'd lived in there for two weeks maybe, three weeks. Beautiful place. What was the problem? You see, the problem is that education alone, without the relationships to follow up, is not going to cut it. Now, i just say a few words because I see you here. Thank you for coming. I, I, I'm going to not let him say it because we haven't got enough time, but I'm going to say something on his behalf. He's a prison ministries worker. He goes to the prisons. They work. They teach the people about our Adventist beliefs. They embrace the Lord Jesus. They say, yes, I want to become a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. They come to church and they sit in the pew just like this next to you. They sit there and the person says, oh, yes, where are you from? What have you been doing? And he says, well, I just spent the last 15 years in prison. And, 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 and they, they move down the pew. And those people don't come back to church anymore. They don't come back to church. Fred Harding went into a church. He, 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 he went into the church. He just told me this about a month ago. He said he went into the church and somebody stood up in the church and said, if you've ever eaten a hamburger since you got baptized, you're going to have to be rebaptized. You can't go to heaven. Okay? See? We have to develop relationships. The relationships are essential because education alone will not work. So you might say, well, what works? Okay, you can ask. What, what, so, 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 so what works? Social support works. 
social support works. What do I mean social support works? I'm going to summarize because I can tell by the time I will open this up for a few questions we'll be done and I won't have said very much. So I'm going to summarize everything I'm going to tell you in just three little points so that you can take away these three points. If we want to change behaviors, if we want people to enjoy the life that Christ would give us, there are three simple things that we have to do. Number one, we have to establish a warm and trusting and trustworthy relationship with people. Non-judgmental, non-accusatory. We accept all people. Maybe we have some behaviors that we would prefer to see modified, but we accept the people whether they change their behaviors or not. In our own families, we have to learn to accept our children as they become and as they are because what they reach a stage says you can do nothing about them. You're all going to find that out. If you're young, let me tell you, you're going to find out that. All right? They will come to an age when you can do nothing about it. All right? So you have to accept the individuals as they are. You accept them as they are. That's the relationship. Right? That relationship permits there to be a channel of communication that is opened that will permit the transmission of our values. This is simplifying it very simple. Once we've established the relationship, now we can transmit the values. Having transmitted the values doesn't mean they'll stick with us. Doesn't mean they'll stick with us. They'll go to a church and somebody will feel gruff and they'll feel affronted. They'll go in jeans to church and some deacon will say, you don't come to church dressed like that. And they'll want to throw them out. Somebody will say, huh? You, make that, you made that with real macar macaroni and cheese with real cheese? Ha! And they'll leave the church. So how do we help these people to become part of us? We put them to work. Social support. We put them giving social support. There's a mass of literature that is coming out in the press over the last five or six years in the, in the academic press. A mass of it that shows that young people who engage in social support of a multiple group of values, those young people stay. They take the values, they adopt them, they become part of their lives. So social support isn't that they receive social support, although that's important. But it's important that they give social support. You know, when we talk about a health message, being involved in health ministry is a blessing to you, the ministers. You may think, oh, we are doing health ministry for them. Never forget, we benefit because it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. See, the Bible has it straight. The Bible understands the human dynamic. The Bible understands that if we can be involved in social support, we will be blessed. Social support won't serve us. It won't save us. I mean, we can do all the social support we want. We're not going to go to heaven because we do social support. Don't get me wrong, all right? But it, it blesses us. It affirms us. It gives us the ability to, 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 
to move on. Now, when we have young people, and I want to focus a lot on young people in this talk, and I'm, I'm going to try and move along fairly fast. This, by the way, is Dr. Landless's talk. The reason I can give it is I know what he talks about. He knows what I talk about, and we can just talk for each other. But I mean, this basically, college students who report high levels of social support also report lower levels of stress. Larger social networks are related to fewer hospitalizations as we get older. Now, let me ask you a question. Um, don't take offense. I'm just like this. How many kids in your church? How many kids? Yeah. Fifty. Do you know all their names? Seventy-five percent. Poor twenty-five percent. Yeah, they're new, so I. You know. No, I, I'm not blaming you. <laughs> There's probably a hundred and fifty kids, and I don't know their names. But of course, I uh, they hardly know me. I'm not. I'm not there. The point of the question is: Do we know the names of our kids? Do we know the names of our kids in this, in, in our church? See, I, I'm not very good at this. My wife's very good. We'll sit down. She'll say, that lady's new. I'll say, oh, which lady? You know, <laughs> she'll say, that's a, that's a new lady there. So I say, oh. And before I know it, she's up there and she's saying, welcome to church today. So glad to see you. My name's Janet Handysides. And what's your name? You know, and I'm thinking, because I'm a, no, not because I'm a shrinking violet, because I'm probably too stuck up, see? Is that what it is? I don't know. Maybe that's what. Maybe what the basis of of, of the being sort of so shy is that I'm too stuck up. Somebody may think. And Janet will say to them, "Oh, I'm so, so, so. And you know, she'll say, "Well, and, and invite them home. Some one of the best friends we ever made. She met just like that in church. She said, "Would you like to come home for lunch?" And the person said, "Oh, that would be lovely. I've got my husband and two children." She says, "That's fine. Bring them along too." So suddenly, the fellowship, the social support. We've moved. Now, everybody needs social support. I started this, started this talk with a talk about a prostitute. Be honest in your inmost soul. When I said a prostitute, did you feel a little bit like icky? Did you? Just a little bit. Icky? Think about it. It's sometimes hard for us to be absolutely honest in our inmost souls. I, I, I loved it when Dr. Whiting said that he gets some problem people coming. I know what sort of problem people you're going to get. Yeah. We all know we're going to get problem people. But our message is for people just like that. Because Jesus was downcast by the high society, high-flying Pharisees, they said, you know, he eats with republicans and sinners. Oh, that the criticism of health ministries could be that we eat with publicans and sinners. <laughs> Wouldn't that be wonderful? You know, sometimes when we go out, we prepare luncheons. You know, I've been to those luncheons too. And there's always, you know, I'm always worried about going there because I know there's always going to be arguments. Some people say, we shouldn't be saying this, we shouldn't be saying that, we shouldn't be saying this. You know, and I, I always think, oh grief, I wish you could just forget all this uh, talk about what we should and shouldn't do. And let's just do it in, in kindness and in love and, 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 and reach out. But we prepare these baskets, you see, and, uh, little bags, paper bags, and maybe 200, 300 of them. And then the young people go out and they sit in a place, see, where they know there's a lot of uh, immigrants who who are going to go to work, who are maybe living on a shoestring, you know, five or six of them in one house, five or six families in one house, trying to make a livelihood. And, and, and so we give out the, the paper bags, you know, 
And do you know that they can feed 200 people in an hour? I say praise the Lord too. It's a wonderful thing. It's a little different though. From actually sitting down and eating with them. You get the point? So many of our ministries are like us ministering to them. But if we're going to really have a relationship, we've got to be able to say, how are you feeling, Joe? Oh, sorry, Sally. (laughs) (laughs) There is a need, there is a need for us to humble ourselves. My people that are called by my name will humble themselves, you see. We have to be like Jesus. Relationships, these kind of relationships are going to bring people to the church. I've got a kid who is a little alien in some things, especially to some of the things that some of you might think are very important. I said to him, what are you doing? Thursday night, telephone. You know, we're three hours ahead of them, so when we get ready for bed at 9 o'clock, of course Janet and I are early birds, get ready for bed, it's only about 6 o'clock. He says, oh, I'm just with the homeless kids at Redland. I said, the homeless kids? What are the homeless kids? He says, there's 200 homeless kids in Redland, California. 200 kids. I said, what, what do you mean homeless kids? He says, oh, they're sleeping in culverts. They're just hanging out. They don't have any place to stay. 200 of them. I said, what, what are you doing? He said, well, he says, I'm meeting with them. I, I'm meeting with a, the woman here that started this. She said she needed help, so I volunteered, and I'm, I'm helping in the community. I said, what are the kids like? He says, oh, you wouldn't want to touch them, Dad. You wouldn't want to be with them. He says, they got mohawks, and they, their hair's green and blue, and they've got skews through their nose, and they've got body piercing all over and tattoos. He says, stuff stuck through their tongues. He says, not your type. I said, and what are you doing? He says, oh, I just sit and talk with them. He says, oh, by the way, it's very hot in there. Could you send us $500 for an air conditioner? I said, no, I'll send you $250, and you can find the $250 somewhere else. I think he may have hit you up for the $250, yeah. <laughs> so what's he doing? He's sitting down there, sitting down there with these kids. I said, what are they like? He said, they're children, man. He says, they're 11-year-olds. They come to me and they say, is it better for me to take marijuana than it is to take crack cocaine? He says, the choices are wacky. But he said, you know, I came there and I says, he said, we had a staff meeting, so I didn't have time to change in my T-shirt and jeans. And he says, I went there and I was taking off my tie. And, and they said, oh, you really do teach at the university, eh? Uh-huh. And then he said, they crowd around him like little bees around a honeypot. Relationships. Large Social networks, support, protects these people. Even adults benefit from social support. There's lots of studies, you know the studies, that show that health-promoting activities for older people, relationships benefit older people. Uh, uh, You know, a guy that has a heart attack, 
they ask them the question, they say, does your wife show you her love? Not does she love you. Does your wife show you her love? They divide them up. Some say yes, some say no. They've all had heart attacks. They follow them up at six months. What do you think happens? The ones whose wives show them their love, they survive far better after that heart attack, all right? By a, by a relative risk factor of maybe two times. So the statistical significance is there, all right? It's very significant. Do you have somebody to love you? Low social support. It's associated with a greater chance of death. Patients with breast cancer and serious life-threatening skin cancers, such as melanomas, survive longer with good social support. They say, how can this be? It's probably related to the stress factors. You know, the stress of going through these illnesses and all, all of this, these kind of things. Sure, the, the, the telomeres, you know, the little caps on the chromosomes, in people who are undergoing all sorts of stress, they, the, those telomeres, they, they, they're destroyed. The telomerase, which builds up the, 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 the capsule, the, the um, telomeres, that, that is found to be low in stress and with support that comes. So there's biochemical reasons for how we cope with the stress. Chronically ill women have less depression if there's social support. Social support is, is associated with improved performance in academic examinations. You know, I had a kid, one of my three, I won't tell you which one they are, had difficulty at school until he went to a class where the teacher one day announced to the class The most likely candidate to be a millionaire in this class is, and he named my kid. And the kid came home and he said, Mr. Brown said, he said, well, if you're going to, you'll have to work hard. <laughs> to my knowledge, he never, missed, he never missed an assignment. Of course, the assignments weren't always done to the highest grade and highest level, but he, he, he never missed one because he felt support. He felt that the teachers cared. He felt, you know, the support is so important. In health ministry, I want us to put this support first. I want you to make this number one in health ministry. Everything else is important, don't get me wrong. I've just boasted about the exercise, all right? about this. Of course, I am eating smaller portions. You know, you can get fat on good food. One of my associates was gaining weight, and her husband was, I've uh, given it away, I shouldn't have said that, was gaining weight, and uh, she said, I don't understand it. I feed everything is good food. I said, it's how much are you feeding? I watched him one day, he had a plateful like this of rice. I said, you know, you can't eat too much of a good thing, right? It's not only just what you eat, it's how much of it you eat. Adolescent mothers, young mothers, how many of them I used to see. You know, in our cocoon of Adventism, we don't always understand where the world's at. You know, and they, they come in pregnant to you and they say to you, can you tell who the father of this child is? And you say, 
Me tell who the father of the child is? I thought, you're the one that's supposed to know who the father is, right? She says, no, but I, you know, Friday night it was this, then I got a little, I was drinking, and, and I got, you know, and I wasn't sure, and, and then I went and slept with that guy, and, and there may be three guys, and I, I'm not sure. Can we tell? I said, well, after the baby's born, we can tell. And, and you know, we might think. I know my mother would have gone, <laughs> I was brought up in that kind of home. My mother would have gone, <gasps> you know, and my father would have said, dirty. And, and, but, but you see, but you see, that was the real world. That's the world that Jesus was living in. See, that's the world that Jesus lived in. And, and, and sometimes, as, as, as Adventists, you know, we don't want to give the support for the abused adolescent mothers because they've been drinking and smoking and screwing around and they're in the gutter and we know that they're, well, we think they're just the trash. The human trash. We say we don't. When I go to Africa, you know, I, we talk about stigma for HIV and AIDS, and I, I said, if I was to tell you that I'm HIV positive, I'm HIV positive, what's the first thought that goes through your mind? How did you get it? Right? First thought. How did you get it? See? Why is that the first thought in our mind? Why is... We don't have the mind of Christ. See, why don't we say, why don't we say, Oh, brother, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that, that, that you're going to have to bear this burden. See? And I'm going to bear it with you. See, that, that's, that's the attitude that Jesus would have had. And what troubles me is that I worry that we become Pharisees in health ministry. Hmm? That's why we talk about relationships. That's number one. It's relationships, social support. Lack of social support is associated with problems in our young people. Why do we have young people graduating from high school and graduating from the church? Half of our young people, when they graduate high school, they never darken the door of a Seventh-day Adventist church in the next five or ten years. Unless there's a wedding or something and the other one is still in the church. Why is that? Is it because, is it because we, they don't want to be vegetarians? No, 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 that's not what it is. Is it because they don't like soy milk? No, that's not what it is. Is it because they want to eat McDonald's hamburgers? No, there's, you know, we always say, well, you know, the Seventh-day Adventist church predominantly vegetarian. In the health study, 50% of the respondents were vegetarians. That's in the health study. In the church itself, are 50% of them vegetarians? Not alone. We'd be, 30% would be a good number for North America. If you took the global church, we're talking 5 or 10%. See? Five or ten percent. And then we say, well, now we've got the vegans, we've got the pesco vegetarians, we've got the lacto over vegetarians, you know, which one's the best? And we're going to sort of arguing about which one's the best. Do you think that's very attractive to somebody to somebody that's struggling, struggling 
you know, because he slept with his girlfriend last night and he doesn't wonder if the Lord will, will accept him and, or he got drunk and, or he smoked a joint of marijuana. Are we, are we scratching where it really itches? See, are we scratching where it itches? You know, I'm going to go fast. I'm going to go very fast now. Very fast. Because, because I have to go very fast. All right. Please apologize. If you see Dr. Dr. Landless, just tell him it was wonderful talk. All right. Tell him it was wonderful. Because otherwise he'll feel bad. Social support or love is health giving. Sincere, honest relationships. They build resilience. They build the capacity to maintain competent functioning in spite of adversity and life stresses. It, it develops over time and it's characterized by coping skills that we want to give. 46% of mentored, uh, mentored youth are 46% less likely to use drugs. 27% less likely to initiate alcohol use. 53% less likely to skip school than be truants. 37% less likely to skip class. Mentored youth are greater than 30% less likely to hit somebody. More confident in their schoolwork, get along better with their families. Religion and prayer. Regarding drug use, religion and parental influence are the most common factors, common factors associated with refraining from alcohol, abstaining from alcohol. Lack of religious affiliation is strongly associated with subsequent al alcohol abuse amongst among physicians. Higher religious commitment among adolescents is associated with less intention to use cocaine. Resiliency. All of our ministries, doesn't matter what you're in, if you're a nutritionist, or if you're a behaviorist, if you're in whatever branch of health ministries, you must look to build resiliency in our young people. Resiliency means that they may be pushed under the water they may be stressed. They may be put into difficult predicaments. But they will bounce back. They will bob up like a cork. It'll be like bobbing for apples. And relationships in the church? Hmm. I thought you might like to see this data because I know you like, you know, you're a scientific audience. So you want a few percentages. All right. Look at the Adventist church. This I got, took these statistics from Gary Fraser and I added them to this talk. Well, tell him that uh, you didn't mind Handyside altering his talk just a little bit. Of the people you socialize with, what percentage are Adventists? Of the people you socialize with, what percentage are Adventists? Well, you don't have to answer because they asked those questions to a group so they got the response. You see, 66 to 100% Adventist are those who you associate with. 51% of the church said, yep, that's it. 26 to 65%, 20% said that. 0 to 25% of SDAs, 28% said they were mingling primarily with not people who are not Adventists. But you see, this is the problem because down here, 20% of Adventists report approximately 100% of their social circle was with Adventists. You are in the world, but not of the world. Is that what Christ said? 20% aren't even in the world, are they? They're in their own cocoons. <laughs> See? 
They're in their own little Adventist cocoons. How much social support are they doing in their Adventist cocoons? Do the people whom you worship with make you feel loved and cared for? Now we've welcomed them into the Adventist church. They've baptized them in prison. These guys have had a wonderful experience that they're giving themselves to the Lord. So they come to the church. Do, they make, do we make them feel loved and cared for? Now these are not prisoners. These are Adventist members. All right? These are not non-Adventists. This is not my prostitute. When I sent her kids to the, to the school, she said to them before they went, now you don't steal anything, otherwise I'll brain you. You know, this kind of, when she was going to an Adventist camp. But, but I mean, basically, um, these, are, these are Adventists like you and me that were answering these questions. Do you always feel, only 25% said they always felt loved and cared for. Only 25%. 50% said fairly, 60% said fairly, and 15, nearly 16% said never. These are the guys that are going to leave. They're going to leave the church. Can you make a difference? Can you make a difference? Are you willing to establish a relationship with these people? Now let me tell you, these people are the difficult people. These people may be the doctors. Oh yeah, the doctors who know everything. And brook no interference. And tolerate nobody's ever telling them anything. I can say that because I'm a doctor, right? Some of the biggest pains in the pastor's neck is the doctor who sits on the board and says, well, I've got $10,000 if you do this and so. But if you don't do it my way, no way, it's the highway. You know what I'm talking about. You've met them and heard them on the boards, all right? I'm going to put some money up for this, that, and this, but that one can't be on it, and that one can't be on it, and that one can't be on it. Are you going to accept the money? Huh? You know, we have to look at ourselves. We talk about healing the rift between the ministers and the, the professions. As a professional who grew up in the home of a pastor, I know it's a two-way street. It's a two-way street. And we as health professionals, we have to be prepared to walk that extra mile if we're going to heal the rift. Because we, we're the ones that maybe don't feel this loved and cared for, but maybe it's our fault. How often are people with whom you worship critical of you? I was pleased with this. Never. Great. Well, yes. Yeah, critical, I suppose. That means no constructive criticism. The, the pastor's too scared to say that drinking alcohol is a problem. Too scared to say, uh, you know, the church doesn't believe in extramarital sexual relationships. Hmm? Maybe we can, be, we can be too scared once in a while. Okay. Fairly often. Hmm. This group here obviously feel they're in the wrong milieu. They're not getting the support. They're not getting the need. I, yeah, I'm going to finish here. Yeah. So, look at the church size. If the church size is less than 100, 51% treat each other as family. If it's 100 to 1,000, 41% treat each other. If it's over the 1,000, it's pretty obvious to me that small churches are better than big churches. 
right? Yeah. And uh, seeing as I got a pale skin, we don't do as well, do we? Hmm? We don't do as well. You know, we, we always say, well, you go to a black church, they won't let you out till one o'clock in the afternoon or two o'clock in the afternoon. They're all day there. I mean, they, I don't know. No, but you know, they treating each other as family. <coughs> do other members ever listen to your personal problems? At least fairly often? Huh? See the church size again? These big churches, bigger the church, the worse the problems. So you got the message. In conclusion, in the end, when all of the special gifts from God have come to an end, love will go on. Three things will remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And love is the foundation of all relationships that build resiliency. Now go and do it. <laughs> Don't transform your churches. Don't think you can transform the conference. Don't transform everything. Just take me. Just work on this guy. Janet, you got to work, and i got to work. Just the two of us, on ourselves. God bless you, and thank you. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.